0: It's time to
1: rock and roll! Hey, how you doing? This is uh, Gina Versa with the Waffle Press Podcast. Um, Just me solo today, uh, Diego's away, my co-host. But we had a really cool guest uh, on the show. This is his third appearance, so that's cool. Uh, Everyone, this is uh, Anthony Sufrante. How you doing, Anthony? I'm doing good, how you doing? i'm doing pretty good pretty good uh awake this morning uh good to have you on so yeah it's all good so anthony um it's been like we were trying to figure this out right before recording but i think it's been like three or four years since you've been on uh the waffle press podcast so welcome back um yeah yeah everything's been uh doing good how you been doing i've
2: been doing good keeping busy doing different things uh you know we just uh it's been a it's been a very interesting year since uh since well, actually you two years because of all the covid stuff and yeah uh but um you know had a nice kind of variety of different projects so it's been uh, it's been really it's been it's been fun
1: yeah it seems like you were staying busy i know you had like a christmas movie um, nicks that we're here to talk about and then you had like another asylum movie so it's really cool
2: yeah, actually and there's another one that, that we did that hasn't really officially been announced that we can talk about as well. Oh okay. So,
1: cool. Yeah, we could
2: yeah. Talk
1: to that talk <laughs> about that a little later. So that'd be that'd be great, yeah, if you wanna make an announcement or anything. Um but yeah, just kind of uh just getting into it. Um just kind of, you know, as a movie podcast, we usually ask our guests uh what they've been watching. Have you seen any uh interesting films that we talk about next?
2: Uh I haven't had a lot of time. I saw I saw Barbarian a couple of weeks ago, uh, which was an interesting horror film. I thought they did some nice stuff with that. Um, I did I did take the time to go see Shaw's and uh, oh, on is. IMAX, and then um, I was I was uh, doing some filming on a, a movie, and so uh, in New York, and I uh, I went and. Uh, I went and saw it on 3D again like a week later. So I had, you know, Jaws is, Jaws is just, you know, obviously uh gold standard when it comes to shark movies. So, Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, I heard good thing. I don't like 3D movies at all. I hate them. Uh, Mm -hmm. they, they kind of irritate my eyes. And so, and and at a certain point it was just becoming a gimmick and it just wasn't interesting, which is why a lot of, they don't really put out a lot of 3D stuff anymore, but the, um, but I mean, jaws, it was it intrigued me because people kept saying it was amazing. So uh, see, seeing it in three d was, uh, was it was is well worth it. I, I i I was really impressed with how they uh, converted it, especially those opening shots and stuff. It was, uh, it, was, it was it was it was impressive. But the imax was is even more impressive because I think there were like two th- I've watched that movie so many times, and um, there were there two two things that I never noticed ever. Hmm. And, uh, or maybe, maybe I noticed the very first time I saw it, but, um, I remember the scene on, um, the boat with Quint and, mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, Dreyfus and, uh, uh, Roy Schneider, uh, yeah. Brody when, when, when they start talking about, uh, you know, all their scars and stuff and, and Brody's just standing there and, uh, he lifts up his shirt for half a second. And, um, on IMAX, you actually see what, 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 he would he had he actually hmm. see like a, a bullet wound in his chest in his in his abdomen mm-hmm. and so it's like he's about to tell them the story of whatever happened in new york which i'm assuming this is just extrapolating is what the reason why he ended up on amde island is to get away from the crime in uh, in new york or something so, mm-hmm. so so i don't know if you ever saw that i because I, I i the detail because it was so dark it's so dark even on the you know even yeah. with the 4k on on, on DVD, Blu-ray, and all that yeah. kind of stuff. It's I never saw that. I'm like, oh my gosh. So it's like, it's interesting, and the interesting character thing is that while they're all bragging about their shark things, Brody doesn't uh, want to talk about what really happened to him, uh, hmm. even though he had an opportunity. So I don't know, uh, did you ever notice that before?
1: I, I have not, and I, saw, uh, I only saw the 3D version when it re-released uh, last month, and I didn't catch that, I wonder, if, like, uh, if there's like a deleted scene or anything. No, cause...
2: no, it's not deleted. It's in. No, it's in the film. It's just okay. that because because of the lighting in in the boat, because it's mm. night. Yeah. When he when, when he lifts up the shirt, you you know just briefly, you know you can't it's you can't really tell the detail because it's lit a certain way. Mm-hmm. But on IMAX, it's so big, you actually see the detail of oh, there's a there's a bullet wound on his uh, abdomen. Oh, okay. So, and then the second one. Uh-huh. Which again maybe 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 again maybe i'm I, i've just been blind the entire time but um <laughs> you know after they're they're um at the very end they're on the the boards going uh on the water to get home and stuff and they have their line and then the movie cuts and then you cut to the credits right uh-huh. um for the life of me i i always wondered well like okay did they make it back or not but on that wide shot like where, where you start seeing all the credits mm-hmm. that's actually them uh arriving on shore in the far background mm-hmm. if you if you I, I don't know if you ever noticed that either I,
1: I think i might have like if you like kind of like you see them just like way like in the foreground yeah i it,
2: yeah it's it, it's it, it's very it, it's so tiny and again when, when you're on home video you know you're not mm-hmm. uh Video, whatever it's called, now. DVD, home entertainment. Yeah. DVD, it's <laughs> it, yeah. What, what is it anymore? It's, it's just home entertainment. because sure, like yeah. All these different formats. <laughs> but but yeah, they, they were so they're so tiny that you just think it's debris or something. But but when you see it on even 3D version, you can see really clearly. But in the IMAX, you see them. They actually the entire time the duration because the credits too. Once the movie's over, you're not really paying attention to how many people watch the credits. Well, I do, mm-hmm. but I never. I, I i never really paid that much attention because it just looked like debris or I thought it was always shark debris or something, but it's them coming to shore and getting off that that makeshift thing so Ooh. if you watch if you watch the uh the end credits and you watch that other scene, it's two things that never never caught before, and I've seen that movie like way too many times <laughs> yeah
1: yeah now I could I imagine yeah, directing shark movies so that's the that's the pinnacle but yeah i don't think i've no i would never noticed that first one that's that's really interesting because it's like uh with like uh chief brody and everything uh adds to his character so yeah 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 that,
2: that that's, that's what really was neat. so so surprising to me like oh wow like you know it's a new new and there was other things too that uh that if you're watching it on imax mm-hmm. uh you know there's just there's just detail there's just things like, you know, a lot of times you're just watching. If you've seen a movie a, a ton of times, you're distracted. You're, oh, there's, there's Josh, you're watching it, and you're distracted with something, come back. You're not, like, immersed into the world. But when you're in a movie theater, you know, especially one that's so big or in three dimensions, you know, you're starting to look at details that maybe you never saw before. Yeah. You, know, you're, you're, you know, even so, even some dialogue, too, that gets muddied in the mix, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on on, on home entertainment. Like at the very beginning, there's there's a lot of like little one-liners and things that like oh wow oh the other one mm-hmm. the other thing was uh, uh Quint's dude, Quint has a dude like <laughs> like it, he has this 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 sidekick like at the be- oh like when, yeah when, when he does
1: he, the scratch right
2: yeah when he does the scratch but the but then the, the guy is all throughout the movie. But he's like a, you know, he's just like background. But he's his dude, like huh. like his his his, his his yeah, his butler or something. It's just huh. it's bizarre. It's like <laughs> oh wow, well, I never I never noticed this guy being so prevalent. But but again, it's just those little details that get lost when you're when you're when you've seen a movie eighty times. Yeah. That's what that's what that's why I go back to. Uh, you know, there is something to be said for seeing movies on the big screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're, they're just something that, you know, you're, you're forced to pay attention and watch the movie all the way through and, and you, you learn new things. That's why whenever there's a, you know, one of my favorite movies, if it goes to the archival theaters, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'll, I'll try to watch it again because it's just, uh, uh, it's, it's just worth the experience. Um, there was a retrospective of some Cronenberg stuff right before Crimes of uh, the Future came out. Yeah. And I went and I saw, I saw Videodrome, uh, okay. on the big screen, which I've never seen on the big screen before. And uh, it, it's it's an incredible, again, it's incredibly uh, uh, it, prescient film. kind of like, like you know, it was ahead of its time. Yeah, you know, and yeah. it just kind of foretold of a lot of stuff that eventually happened with society, and that was like whatever nineteen eighty two or eighty three. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it I was a double feature with that and Existence.
1: Oh, I haven't seen that one.
2: And uh, Existence, I saw when it came out, um, and I it, it was it was okay, mm-hmm. uh, but back to back, they're they're of the same kind of. Uh, uh, they're of the same universe in a in a weird way. They're there, but you know, because that was about being plugged into video games. And again, that was another. <clears throat> it's again another thing where kind of Cronenberg kind of saw the future. Yeah. And and then I I think of the of of these movies, I think Crimes of the Future becomes sort of the trilogy of the that kind of body horror that he was talking about in those movies about yeah. mel- melding technology with with uh, the body and stuff. Yeah. He's like a prophet. Um, <laughs> But video videodrome uh and it, it's funny because uh when, when we were doing the premiere I couldn't be there for my premiere of nicks and uh they hired a a body double for me and we <laughs> we photos. had a, we, we had a zoom uh, uh-huh. a, a zoom link and a speaker so mm-hmm. I could actually communicate with the people at the premiere and experience it, even though I couldn't be there. So I basically it was—I was Brian Oblivion from Videodrome. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've shed the, uh, the the physical form, and, and now it's just, just exist in cathode rage yeah. rays. And so, you know, uh, long live the new flesh, which we're doing right here on the podcast.
1: So. Exactly. Yeah, we're communicating through Zoom yeah. and everything. It's good. I was—I uh, was really curious if you had uh, if you saw Cronenberg's uh, sons' movies, like Possessor or anything.
2: I- no, I actually, I actually haven't seen those, okay. uh, but I, I'm interested in them. Have
1: you do you have you seen them? I did, yeah. That was uh, probably my favorite film of 2020. I'd really recommend Possessor. Possessor? Uh, mm-hmm. It's really creepy. Yeah, he, it's the same vein of Cronenberg, Cronenberg, excuse me. But uh, yeah, his his son is like a little, maybe a little more weirder. I don't know. Yeah, yeah definitely have to check it <laughs> out. Um, but we, uh, for, we definitely, I will. Yeah, um, before we go to Nick's, um, start talking about. It. did have one question for you because I asked you this before. I'm not sure if you ever said on air, but uh, talking about things that you're watching. Uh, have you caught up uh, on the new season of Rick and Morty? Because I'm not sure if any <laughs> listeners know you're a huge fan. Oh,
2: I, lo- I love Rick and Morty. Um, I, I've i seen two episodes of the new season because I, 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 was, I was not around the first when it premiered in September. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm catching up with it right now. Um, a buddy of mine, Jacob Harris, over there. He's directing, uh, and he won, in, won a couple of. I think his episode won a couple of years ago for mm. uh, for Rick and Morty. And he did. I watched his night Night People episode, and he's he's brilliant. He yeah. he's just so talented as an artist and just uh, imagination. And we wrote a script years ago called The Key that we've been trying to get made for a very long time. And um, and actually, you know, Jake was around when. And when we were coming up with pitches for sci-fi, and uh, Sharknado uh, was uh, a brainchild of of working with uh, Jake, he was like Sharknado. I'm going, yes, that must be (laughs) that must be a movie. And uh, and years later, it became something. So yeah. So no, Jake's 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 incredible, and Rick and Morty just is 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 just you know back back crap crazy. You know, it's it's one of the they just consistently do things that you know TV. is afraid to do (laughs) yeah Yeah. and it's always and you never know where it's going Mm -hmm. you know it's it's great having unhinged characters that uh that that you could just kind of put on screen and go yep they're going to do that and Mm -hmm. yeah it's going to be wrong (laughs) yeah like
1: mr poopy butthole and yeah yeah
2: well yeah but 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 the night the night the night the night people episode i think
1: it's called night people uh uh uh, is just is just so bizarre and weird and brilliant i i haven't seen that one yet but I'm, i'm catching up but i'm really excited to check it out because uh yeah new season so far it's been good and you know i'm just glad to get payoff for evil morty so you know i, just... I was that now i might
2: have missed that i might have missed that episode so, Oh, okay that... finale last year yeah oh the finale yeah oh, yeah no i saw the finale i just i I like i said i think i missed the first two episodes and i jumped in and uh on on the two middle ones just the oh, last okay. couple weeks
1: gotcha yeah it's been it's been good but. We're here to talk about Nix. So Mm -hmm. let's let's talk about kind of the the basis of like this project. You wrote it with uh, James and Barty, Skylar, Caleb, and uh, my good friend. He's been on the show before, Woodrow Hancock. Um, And you guys, uh, you've written a couple, you know, films. One that I worked on, Awaken the Shadow Man. That was my first PA gig (laughs) in the film. So always appreciative for you guys for that. But, uh, you know, you guys are, uh, you know, Wrote a few films. Talk a little bit just about uh, the genesis of this project. Well, I I, I was involved in Shadow Man as
2: producer. Um, I think I did a I think I did a slight polish on it at some point. Uh, for, you know, when I when I came on board uh, to kind of give them put a little more suspense or something in it, but I, I didn't do much. And then um, I did some pickups for them on it uh, in post. Um, but other than that, um, uh, that was that was a great first experience. i um, really great. Uh, Group of guys, um, very supportive, and uh, you know, there. They came to me probably three years ago or two years ago. Uh, maybe it was right before it was right before COVID hit, actually. And uh, they had this project that they were developing, and said, "Would you be interested in directing it?" And so you know, I was looking at the project and we're going, "Okay, there's something here. I think we could do something." And they already had a a, a place booked in. Um, Uh, Georgia on the Appalachian Trail that was going to shoot that April and so we started uh, prepping and then COVID hit and uh, you know that kind of put a monkey wrench in everything because we didn't know because everything was shut down in April at that time. Mm -hmm. You know we didn't know what this what this virus was and if we went there, what was going to happen? Like, what if someone gets sick, and you're yeah. out in the middle of the Appalachian Trail, and how do you get home? And so we tabled, tabled it, and lost money on uh, uh, on the push. But then we used that time to to develop uh, the script more uh, over the summer. Mm-hmm. And at a, at a certain point, uh, we were struggling with the, the ending. That was one of the hardest parts of it. And uh, I, I just on a whim. Um, I said, okay, let me figure something out. So I, I sat down and like, and uh, if, you know, half a day, I, I came up with this 15 page ending or something mm-hmm. and they go, this is great. Let's do this. It's like, we do this. We got to throw everything else out because yeah. it's, it, 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 just, it's, it sort of uh, makes sense, but it doesn't. And, um, and at that point, uh, we started talking about that the original um, the original concept we might have to rethink it completely and that was a huge conversation and um, and so we, we knew like essentials that you know there was two brothers and the there the, the, you know we wanted to have a, a, a iconic uh, creation in it um, and but but everything else was kind of up for grabs once we realized the direct and we had a mother figure in there. We, we, we was going to, going to go toward the, uh, I don't think the mother figure actually was in that, that oh. version. No, no, she wasn't. Uh, okay. It was actually the, yeah, I think it was more of the brother. Yeah. So the, again, it's, it's such a blur. So I said, look, I'll, I'll take a crack at this. Um, you know, once we fit, we settled on a name, I, I looked up, uh, folklore and kind of, I knew we, we 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 want what kind of thing we want to do with the monster. And I found this half face in water, which was called a Nix. It was from mm-hmm. German mythology. Well, it's also called the Noxie or the Knockin. And and I go and that just that image of the half face in water is just eerie as, as hell. I'm like yeah. there's there's something about that. Everything else about the Nix was 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 trashed because it's like it's a water fairy. I mean, it's not that interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. But 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 just this this haunting image of a half face in water it, it intrigued me of where where is this thing coming from and what is it, and so we 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 sat and we had a bunch of uh, sessions talking about it, and then I go I'll, I'll take a first crack at the at the script give me a, mm-hmm. give me six weeks, and I'll I'll go in and and present something to you that I think could get us to that ending, uh, that we were talking about, and so um, so I did that. Uh, I remember actually finishing it in a hotel room and oh. sending it over to them, uh, and uh, and then we we had a lot of notes. We talked about it um, before. I think before they went in and polished, uh, there was one element in the movie that everybody, including the investor, was like, "Yeah, this is a little, little, little crazy." Um, you know, do a version without it. And I go, okay, I'll do a version without it, but it's not going to work. And then I did a version without it and they're going, it doesn't work. It's like, okay, yeah, but we did it. So everybody's comfortable with, Mm -hmm. with the version, with that element, not in the movie. And then, uh, and then we spent the, you know, the next two months, uh, polishing the script together and we, um, we were going to shoot in los angeles couldn't afford it still it was a year after covid so Mm -hmm. it was still prevalent with the with you know out there so it was very 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 hard to find someone to let us shoot in a house Mm -hmm. which uh was uh kind of a key thing in the movie and you know kind of to move in and do that stuff yeah it just was not going to happen and then um i had shot um Uh, a thriller a few years before called Forgotten Evil in my hometown in Antioch and they were always very very supportive and you know uh, we were able to kind of you know not have to have gigantic you know permit fees and all that stuff so um, I reached out to them and uh, they said yeah yeah you could do this and then uh, we found a place that was an art gallery is called the Lynn House it's uh, Mm -hmm. downtown Antioch uh, that uh, that was a former house that was turned into an art gallery that was kind of dormant during COVID. And they made a deal for us to make that our uh, production headquarters for three weeks. Plus, uh, we used it as the house inside the movie. So we just brought in firm- furniture and, and decked it out. So, mm-hmm. um, and knowing that we, the script, g- generally when when you write independent movies, you try to be as non-specific as possible. Like it's a house. It's a business. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a park. You don't you don't go into like this beautiful museum with glass architect. (laughs) You you don't do that stuff. You keep it very generic because then at least you know as you're scouting, you can find things that could open up the world as opposed to you know oh we got to find this place and Mm -hmm. can't shoot there. And so once we knew we were going to Antioch, um, I knew I had access to the high my high school I went to. I knew I had access to the movie theater there. I knew I had access to a lot of the pier. So uh, another polish was done to open up the movie as opposed to being very nonspecific, narrow uh, places. We now had access to very specific and gorgeous looking places, including mm-hmm. uh, the Heritage Museum, which is placed in, it's Santa Heritage Museum, plays into the film. We shot uh, the scene with Michael Paré there, but also we shot the funeral scene there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's... So, th- so that just started opening the scope of the film, and in addition, it so sort- because we were shooting in my hometown and there were some other interesting elements in it. The movie started becoming a little more personal, um, hmm. uh, strangely. Uh, the, you know, and and it became a little more uh, unintentionally meta. Okay. So, the, so that movie theater, you know, the Campanelle, yeah, you know, me. I I I used to go see movies there all the time when I was a kid, and uh, and so. Uh, we put one of my short films on the screen uh, called uh-huh. Bum Rap, that uh-huh. was one of the very first things I, I shot. And then I'm in the theater watching my short film. Saw your cameo, yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> and then on the marquee is uh, uh, first my my joke for Santa Mira, but also uh, Dynamite Jones. Um, I I forget what which one it was. Maybe it was Dynamite Jones Ignited or Meet Dynamite Jones. Okay. But um, my very first movie. Dig Wayne played Arlo Ray Baines, um, a detective who was a former black exploitation actor who became a cop and sucked at it. (laughs) And 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 so there was we had this whole uh, kind of uh, I I came up with this whole you know movie biography for him. So I put that on uh, the Dynamite Jones, but then I had uh, Dig come back to play. Uh, Mr. Balacco, whose first name is Arlo, so mm-hmm. there, there, there's, a, there's a little, and, and also the scene that he's in, there's a poster for Boo behind him, oh, so there, there, okay. there's, there's, a, there, there's this weird, like I said, there's this weird madness. ness. Uh, the, it's, oddly enough, the, the, the element of of Jack with the video camera or having a video camera uh, came, I think, from Jay, not from, mm-hmm. uh, from, from me. So, okay. having a character that, that was in the movies and stuff, you know, it wasn't. That again, it was sort of okay. Let's let's go for it, uh, and then it they, and then it kind
1: of added to that extra layer of, of personalization to the movie. Oh, it's interesting. Yeah, because um, yeah, I was gonna ask you about Easter eggs, but I guess it uh, kind of told us all. But uh, I was wondering, uh, just going off of that, uh, can you talk a little bit about um, like Antioch? Like uh, you shot another film there. Like you know, grew up there. What, what about like shooting there is like uh, so special? Well, I
2: mean, it's a it's a great small town, mm. and um, and the you know the community has always been supportive. I mean, I was making short films there, and you know, I had a, I had access to a lot of stuff that uh that you know probably wouldn't be ac- accessible without a lot of money if you were shooting in L.A. or somewhere yeah. else. I mean, any anytime you're making something in your hometown. And, you know, I was the the movie critic for years with this local paper. So they've always, always been very, very supportive of everything I've done and, you know, and bring, bring attention to, you know, the downtown, the riverfront is just absolutely gorgeous. And it's, uh, you know, it's people don't realize how beautiful, um, that area is. And, uh, you know, it gives a chance to kind of showcase and show off, uh, show off the town and again it just it's fun you know to kind of go back there to actually shoot in my my old high school is just mm-hmm. it's, it's just bizarro yeah I mean, lots sounds surreal. <laughs> yeah yeah we shot in the old uh science classes and you know they they're just doing remodeling but it's still it felt like a time capsule you know mm-hmm. just a, a lot of what was there was it was just very it was very weird yeah but it but it, but again it gives uh it gives, a, it gives a look, it gives a total look and, and vibe and a feel that, um, you know, that you can't afford when you're, when you're, when you're an indie movie elsewhere, you yeah. know, it's, it gives you scope mm-hmm. because uh, again, what well, most of the original script was, they're at a house, they're at an office, yeah. they're, they're at a, a house, you know, it's not, they're at a movie theater or they're at a school because that whole school thing was added. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there was scenes with these characters, but it wasn't those locations. And, um... Yeah, So, and, and also shooting in Antioch, it's, a, uh, it's very, very, um, really small. Everything that you see uh, in the movie is, is like literally walking distance away. The, mm-hmm. the Lynn house is literally like two-minute walk to the Campanelle, which we use sometimes as base camp, which is mm-hmm. a two-minute walk to the pier. Um, so the, the high schools is probably a five-minute drive. But whenever there, whenever there's, there were things we needed to do or needed to find, it was like, oh yeah, we'll go down to this place and go grab that. Or let's, you can go, go down to to this place and go get that. Mm -hmm. And, and there was always someone uh, willing to help. We had, uh, uh, Katie uh, really helped us find that uh, house uh, in Rio Vista or not, or the uh, Foster's Bighorn in Rio Vista, which we used for the end of the movie. That was not in Antioch. It was in uh, the town over but, um, yeah, there's, it's, it's, it, it just, it just opens up the palette and it makes it feel like a movie. It gives, yeah. it gives it, it gives it scope. Yeah. And then, and then we went to, we were trying to find a place for the woods, which was very difficult. And I I did a lot of research online trying to find anything. And I found this place called shingle town that was, uh, in Reading, which is about three hours away from Antioch, which okay. is pretty much what you see in the movie. I mean, we basically lived in those cabins and, uh, And that's, that's basically how we did it. Uh, But, um, but yeah, so we went there for the last four days or five days of shooting Mm -hmm. and then it snowed.
1: (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah. It wasn't expected.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It's a Sharknado lesson. It's like, whatever the weather is, it doesn't matter if it changes. It's like, well, it's Sharknado weather. So someone (laughs) ever asked like, well, Hey, it was sunny and then it was snowing. Oh, Sharknado weather.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Well, I was going to say, yeah, all the locations, uh, your hometown of Antioch, it looked beautiful on film. So, I'll, you know, definitely. Thank you. you know, yeah, it looked very interesting. Yeah, it was like. Ryan,
2: uh, Ryan Broomberg shot Ryan shot it. He did a great job. Mm-hmm. He did an
1: excellent job as DP on it. Yeah, I'd love to eat at the Caribou Lounge at the end. It looked, uh, looked pretty good. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Anthony, uh, can you talk a little bit um, Working with uh, Dee Wallace, you're saying she was originally, or that character of the mother, she wasn't in the early drafts. Can you uh, say anything how Dee got on, on board?
2: Yeah, well, the, the character I, the character wasn't in the early drafts, but in the version that we ended up uh, reconceptualizing, the character was there. Um, and, and honestly, in my back of my head, it was, I, I always kind of thought it should be Dee. Um, yeah. You know, because I'd worked with Dee twice before, and um, you know, so it, it wasn't lost on me that I would at least try to approach her and see if she'd do it. Um, and it, it 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 worked out. I mean, I we it took a little bit of you know trying to figure out how we were going to get her up to Northern California mm-hmm. and how many days we needed because um, you know it's the characters throughout the movie. It's not yeah. like come come in for one day and 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 knock out everything. Yeah. So. Um, so, yeah, no, so, uh, you know, I, I approached D and kind of begged her and said, look, I really want you to do this, this, you know, this, this, you're the only person that can pull this off. And, uh, I was correct. She was the mm-hmm. only person that could pull it off because that is not an easy role to do. It is, it is so layered and so complex. Um, and you go, you zig or zag one way or another, it could totally torpedo uh the whole tone of the movie
0: mm-hmm.
2: and uh and she you know, she 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 was attracted to the, the 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 depth of it and uh and i i'm just like I said, i'm grateful and you know, she decided to do it without any makeup for the most part mm-hmm. um she really dug deep into this kind of really disturbed woman who's dealing with grief of the loss of her daughter mm-hmm. and how it's affected her for the last 25 years so, um, we were very fortunate and, um, at the downtown LA Fis- film festival, she won best actress for the, oh, for the role. So I'm, cool. I'm really happy. Hey, look, she you know, she's been in all my, you know, all my favorite directors have worked with her and I feel mm-hmm. grateful that I've worked with her multiple times. And, uh, you know, it's, um, it, 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 it was a great experience. I, the, after we did that, uh, what I call the birthday party scene, mm-hmm. I just was sitting there with my jaw on the floor, like. I can't believe we just did this, and that was (laughs) amazing acting. I mean, it just—you know—just the way it was shot, and the performances, and the levels, and it was uh, just—I knew we had something special with that scene. Yeah, and and that that was that was early on in production, so I knew once we did that that we were in great shape for the rest of the movie.
1: Yeah, she really dug deep uh, for those scenes. It was like really, like obviously, you know, she's great in like all her movies, ET, but. You know, uh, towards the end without spoiling anything, like, you know, some of her scenes were really intense. So it's like, it was uh, really cool to see her again. That, that, that scene in the bedroom,
2: like, she was like, I want to do this. And I'm like, Really? Yes. And I'm like, Okay. It kind of makes me feel a little uncomfortable that we're going to go that far with this. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But uh, let's let's do it and so we did it and she was correct it it needed it needed to be disturbing and intense and 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 very uh you know layered Mm -hmm. so she's very happy yeah Yeah, very happy we went that direction
1: and she brought like you know her a-game for it so it was like really cool um uh you said you said uh she was in another uh film from favorite directors and know from et what's uh What other favorite director films has she been in? uh...
2: Oh, I mean, look, Spielberg directed her in Mm -hmm. E.T., Joe Dante, The Howling, Peter Jackson, Frighteners, uh, Louis Teague, uh, Cujo. I mean, oh my gosh, she's so good in Cujo. Mm And I I think, I mean, I I think I even said something to someone on set is like, there's no justice in this world if she can't be recognized for what she's putting herself through in Nix. I mean, we've always known that she's been just a phenomenal actress. I mean, just look at all the body of work that she's done. She should, she should have been uh, acknowledged for all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But again, this movie once again proves how underrated and how incredible she is. Yeah. The, the, uh, any, any actor who's worth its salt uh, watching this can understand how difficult it is, the stuff that she had to do. Yeah, it's something where she has to be. She has to not be self-conscious that she's putting herself out there in in a a different light, you know, without Mm -hmm. makeup or or anything. It's putting herself through the ringer and going to these emotional places. This is this is a film that it's a horror film, but it's also a a movie and a meditation on grief and trauma Mm -hmm. and addiction. And but it's a lot of that stuff isn't. It's not really heavy-handed. It's underneath the surface. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I'm really proud of that we did that we put in the script and that we, we achieved we, that we put on camera where it, it doesn't it doesn't go for the obvious stuff. Yeah. You know, it's there. All all these themes are percolating, but we never go, hey, let's all snort cocaine on the movie. You know, like there's nobody <laughs> there's there, there there's there's people not doing lines in the film, you know, yeah. It's or they're not they're, they're not they're not they're not jabbing their arms, mm-hmm. you know, with needles and close ups, though yeah. they're. There are elements of it in there, but it's not in your face because part of the the language of the movie is that uh, you know the the nix is kind of always there. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's this the stuff that's it's the stuff that's hidden. And I think that's what makes it interesting.
1: Yeah. Uh, going off of that, you were talking about kind of uh, you know favorite filmmakers. Can you talk a little bit about any? influences that come to mind on this film or any horror films um, that you were any any sort of like you know that influenced you in making this would you say
2: well, well one of the things that I kind of wanted to do um, I wanted to shoot it like an indie drama mm-hmm. um, it, I didn't want a slick horror film okay. I, I I did not want this movie to be super slick and stylized I wanted it to feel like you're watching a drama that suddenly dipped over into the horror genre. Like, oh, something just crossed over here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, I mean, there, there are some stylized bits to the film, definitely. I mean, there's definitely the, the, the going in and out of the reality and, and, and the dreamscape and all those things that, that, that are in there. But, but at its core, the movie is shot like a drama, and I particularly go to the birthday party scene. That's that's yeah. that you you know aside from the one small little element in that whole sequence, you could you could take that and put it into any any drama, and you wouldn't think it was a horror movie. Yeah, yeah. And so that that was stylistically a choice. You know, I wanted the house to have a feeling, and I think shooting in Antioch, and you know, definitely has its own vibe to it mm-hmm. um, for this for this film in particular. And then once we got to the uh, the woods with the snow, it added a whole other layer that, I mean, is as much as it was a pain to kind of shoot in the snow and wake up one morning that you're going to shoot the first day and you're covered in three inches of snow, mm-hmm. you just go, okay, well, it's going to be part of it. And, you know, it took us a half a day to regroup and figure out what we were doing. And then um, we just said, this is part of the language of the movie. Hmm. And it added a whole other ethereal style to it. Um, I, I think that because we were, we wanted to do um, a old school creature horror movie in a way, which is mm-hmm. a practical creature. Yeah, uh, there there's some very invisible visual effects to the movie. A lot of it's split screens or clean up or stuff like that. But uh, this movie is you know predominantly ninety nine percent practical. There there isn't there isn't anything that 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 is like completely holy like. Here's a completely CGI creature that we didn't do any of that stuff. So with that intent going into it, um, you know, I thought, oh, it's kind of kind of a throwback to to 1980s horror Mm -hmm. in a way. But um, when it was done, and you know, we were in post, and I I ended up watching uh, The Exorcist again with my daughter. Oh, nice. uh, And it had been a while since I'd seen the movie. And there were some interesting things that, you know, because I was so in tune with the editing, you know, I was watching my movie over and over again. (laughs) Uh, I was was appreciating what Freakin did with the house. You know, normally, you know, when you think of the exorcist, you're thinking about, you know, the demonic possession and stuff Mm -hmm. and all, all the crazy stuff that happens. But he did a really great job of making that house a character into the film as well. I mean, it's just, there's just these long wide shots and it just it feels very uh dark and, and foreboding mm-hmm. and i saw i, I recognize we you know intentionally or, or subconsciously there's a lot of that in uh nix and so what i realize is even though it definitely has its lineage with hey let's do a practical creature 80s yeah. movie um it 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 actually is more of a 1970s movie mm. there's a it's a, a you know nix Knick, is a slow burn Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot going on in the film, uh, that, and it, and a lot of it is about tone and setting and getting you to that point where you start revealing everything in the last half of the film. Yeah, and so um, so 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 yeah. So I think that that was actually the biggest surprise that we we had made more of a slow burn '70s movie. Now, I wouldn't say it's slow burn, but it's it's a it's it it it. it there's a lot of there's a lot of foreboding uh, tension. That comes from you know them being in the basement and the walls dripping and just mm-hmm. things that that are all set up that get paid off toward the end of the movie. Yeah, that was and, uh, and even mm-hmm. even there's there's a there's a, couple, there's, a there, there's there's a couple other weird shots that that like uh, I I realized was very 70s too. That again, I think in the way it got cut in, mm-hmm. the, in the in the movie, the way the way it was edited, uh, the scene where he's placing the papers down on in the in the classroom
1: mm-hmm. and
2: then. I cut to uh, a wide and you see what's on those papers and it's and you know it's it's a very kind of 70s early 80s kind of thing where you cut to a wide but the characters are just staring at something and uh and then you cut away it's it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of halloween in that respect you know halloween yeah. did a lot of that kind of the original know, so but 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 the, the but but there was never there was never a saying, "Hey, we want to do this movie or we want to do that movie." We were just making our movie. We were yeah. making the Knicks, and I think yeah. and I think it was kind of a co- combination of you know interests of what we wanted to do thematically, and I also think it's very much that we were talking a little bit about you know Cronenberg with Videodrome and mm-hmm. uh, Existence and Crimes. Uh, I, I sort of feel like this is the third piece of this sort of uh altered reality movies i've done because you know boo has some of this in and out of reality stuff forgotten evil is about someone with amnesia and so there's this kind of you know this dreamscape kind of world and and definitely NYX takes it to the next level so so it's stuff that i think i've always been interested in Uh and i think in puzzles and i gotta say that when we were shooting i think at times i think woodrow and jay are like we have no idea what you're doing but we're trusting you it's <laughs> like so, yeah just just trust me i don't know uh-huh. I, I, it's gonna cut together yeah and and they trusted me and and it and it did it, it was it, it took a while to get all the pieces to intercut the way mm-hmm. i needed it to but but we shot all the elements to get us to that point
1: yeah yeah i mean you know you guys have worked together for you know film few films now so you know building that trust yeah. is important um, I was going to go off kind of the uh, creature design for the Knicks I really enjoyed it without uh, spoiling anything. It really reminded me of like, uh, like something from like the horror Marvel comics or the horror DC comics, like Swamp Thing and everything. Um, can you talk a little bit? I know we talked about like kind of origin, just kind of filming like the costume. Uh, it was in a lot of daylight. So, you know, camera tests probably needed uh, with, you know, the DP. Can you talk a little bit about? Trying to make the Knicks as like creepy as possible and everything because I, I thought it, it came off really well. Thank you.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we knew we needed a good-looking creature. Um, actually, it's kind of full circle with our conversation. Um, uh, I, you know, Jake who d- works at Jacob Hair, who works at uh, Rick and Morty. Sorry, this just trying Sorry. to make sure this thing doesn't fall. <laughs> um, you know, Jake. Jake. Had, Jake is a director over there. Um, he he early on he had done storyboards for my couple early films and um i asked him as a favor hey can you help me conceptualize uh the knicks and so we sat we sat down um on the phone for probably like three or four hours and um you know i I would show him like textures and elements and uh, so anyway so um so coming uh, coming full circle, uh, you know Jacob Hare, uh, who works over at Rick and Morty as a director. He he he's a really great conceptual artist and did some storyboards for some of my early movies. Mm-hmm. And um, so I called him up and asked him a favor, and we sat down and uh, via Zoom and just kind of came up with ideas. You know, we knew we started with the half face and water. But then uh, coming up with textures and things and like, you know, hey, I kind of like this, and, you know, I found something with uh, eye webbing that I thought was really creepy because I, I haven't really seen the eye webbing before in in, in movies. And um, and so uh, he did the first pass on the design and then went, went over to Vincent Guestini. They did a, a, sl- a slight update to it to uh, make it uh, um, be able to fabricate it.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: uh, you know, it, it, I wanted a full bodysuit, and we put money into that. And I said, if we're going to do this, let's do this correctly. Yeah. Uh, I don't want a CG creature. I've done the CG stuff before. I mean, certainly there's a wor- version of this movie where you have the Nick's creature climbing on the ceilings and running down the wall at, like, <laughs> you know, uh, 80 yeah. miles an hour. But it wasn't this movie. It was it was a creature film, you know, or a, mm-hmm. a metaphorical creature. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know... One of the rules with creature suits is that you keep it in the dark. That's that's what makes it look really good, and we mm-hmm. did do that rule. But I knew it was also going to be out in the in the daytime a little bit. And uh, you know, one of the few fortunate things with the movie is uh, we had even lighting uh, out in the woods with the snow, so you know you don't have that harsh light that kind of show the rubber a little bit. Mm-hmm. So you know, one of my favorite shots of the Knicks is is the Knicks on that uh, that that the uh, stump. Just sitting mm-hmm. there, yeah, and it's creepy as hell. Mm-hmm. And it's very foreboding. That's a the, that's a testament to you know the design and to Vince uh, with Vincent guastini who basically created uh, the the suit and uh, they they made it work. So yeah. and we we ended up co- we one thing we did have to do uh, it was very cold when we were shooting. It yeah. was below freezing in that lake, and we knew we couldn't do put anybody in that water. We did do some stuff in a swimming pool in Antioch that okay. I think ultimately the only thing that survived was mm. probably two shots from that shoot.
0: Okay.
2: Um, and we knew we were going to have to do a pickup later. So we, when we came back to LA, we did a lot of the stuff, the Knicks coming out of the water and attacking people. So,
1: yeah. Plus, uh, Oh yeah. I was going to say the, like, um, kind of going off of like, you know, doing things practical was rewatching, a. Uh, uh american werewolf in london and i am not sure if you saw the new uh werewolf by night the marvel thing i haven't seen that yet i I, i'm i'm it's on my list to watch okay it's it's pretty good surprisingly good but both uh both creatures all practical and I i think there's like something to be said and like something a little bit more scary about like a tangible like monster that looks you know, it looks real. Looks like it has like texture to it, and I thought like the Knicks definitely had that.
2: I mean, my background is makeup effects, so you know, I whenever possible, I'm going to fight for practical. Um, you know, even even when it comes to blood spray, when we most most of the, I mean, there's not a lot of. of of actual blood spray in the film mm-hmm. but there we did have to do there there's that moment where where someone gets hit with a blunt object and
0: mm-hmm.
2: we we needed to have a little assist and they put some digital blood on it and I'm like no <laughs> no no it it looks fake and we have yeah. a movie that is predominantly practical but we kept an element where part of that that blunt trauma you see Sort of a a slight hit where, uh, like, some of the, you see some of the skin, and that actually was effective because then when you cut to the close up of the of the gory uh, aftermath, Mm -hmm. you know, it connected better and it was like, oh shit, oh no, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, so yeah. So it's 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 blending those two things and being smart about how you use uh, the uh, tools, the the practical stuff because 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 practical again, it's. It is tangible. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the bathtub scene where you have some blood on the wall, um, that, that was, an, that was an, uh, a thing where half of that was practical, but we realized we needed more spray in the other direction. So that's an invisible visual effect because we, we put some more blood in there, but you don't notice that it's digital because mm-hmm. we already had practical. Um, so that, that, that's, that's, I think the thing that we've, we we've, we've tend to have forgotten and we've lost, uh, in this world is yeah. that, is the idea that we don't need CG to do everything for us. Mm-hmm. If you, if you just take the time and try to do it practical, um, you know, it, it it's more effective and it's more startling.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. So. I mean, they're all different, like tools in the toolbox, you know? whatever gives you the most scares. So um, I and, and, and
2: all those movies from, from, from that were we, we love from the 80s and stuff, or, mm-hmm. you know, they, they were practical films. Yeah,
1: I, I feel like I know we talked about, like, at some point, American Werewolf in London, which is just one of my favorite horror films. And, like, you know, just the transformation scene is just so still, it's really startling, too, just seeing him, like, turn into a werewolf. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, cool, cool. And we're just kind of winding down here. Uh, you know you guys finished the film took it to you know post um kind of jumping ahead but um i want to ask you how is uh how is it back being at con cuz i got to hang with you guys a little bit before your panel in the green room and it was cool to see you guys up there to promote the film yeah no it was nice coming coming back to the con
2: i mean it was uh a very uh you know i mean I, I obviously we're trying to figure we're trying to figure out a pathway back to normalcy yeah, uh, it's just still it's kind of like it. It's still dangerous being in that that kind of amount of crowd with, <laughs> yeah. with the virus running around. Mm-hmm. But you know, it, again, we it's it's baby steps back to normalcy. So I, I was glad that Comic Con got back into the swing of things. Swing of things, and you know, yeah. having Nick's there meant a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and just getting getting the early word out on the movie. Uh, yeah the film the film just came out digitally uh, you can get it on Amazon and Apple and voodoo you know, rent mm-hmm. or purchase um, and uh you know we're are this little indie film so it's i'm i'm glad we you know we're talking about it here and we're getting the word out because i mm-hmm. uh, i i think that uh you know it's not a typical horror movie which yeah. i which i'm proud of uh, you know, we could have went and did just a normal horror film. I mean, there is a version of this movie that's normal, but um, when you when you get an opportunity, this is the the gift of of Woodrow and Jay and Skyler and and Gary Rubens, the uh, the executive producer, mm-hmm. is they took a chance on something. And you know, we talked about this. I said, look, if we're gonna do something truly indie, we know that as long as we have a creature and a good title and a good trailer, yeah. people will show up, yeah. but you know, let's see. Can we do more? Can we can we add a little more depth to it? Can we make something a little more personal? Can we mm-hmm. make uh, a, a something that's that's a little different? Because that's the whole spirit of indie movie making. I can go make I can go make that horror movie with anybody else, but with you guys, let's you know it, it's going to make the same amount of money regardless of whether we have a creature that 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 goes around murdering people every minute or a movie that has depth that has a creature doing things that you don't expect. Mm-hmm. and and so that's that's what i'm really proud of that it's 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 a it's very very personal for all of us and yeah. uh and we got a chance to make a movie that i i don't think a network or a studio would would greenlight mm-hmm. because it doesn't follow a b c d conventions and from the response we're getting from people um you know i i think that that it's it it's doing what we hoped it to do yeah um you know there's, there's, a, there's a thing where you, you want to kind of shine a light on things that, you know we've, I, I think a lot of us have dealt with trauma. We've watched mm-hmm. people grieve and go through that. And I think there's some sort of catharsis in this film. I, I, again, you know, trying to give back or pay it forward that if someone can kind of recognize themselves or recognize what they're going through and, and the movie has sort of a, a resonance, then, then it's a win. You know, I, I you know, if, if people were just expecting a horror film, fine, you yeah. know, and you don't you're not happy with it. I'm not I'm I'm not uh, saying that, uh, you know, you're wrong. It, it is its own film. But but we were t- kind of striving for something a little bit more deeper. Uh, and uh, and, I, and I'm really proud of the fact that we pulled that off. Yeah. Um, and I've had people come up to me oh, this movie really affected me in ways I didn't expect the biggest hat trick that I think we pulled off in this movie is that for all the crazy stuff that goes on in it with all the, the strange detours and the violence and everything it's a strangely emotional movie yeah. like there's, there's a few beats toward the end of the movie at least three scenes where it tugs and, and, and somehow we pulled it off and it's because of all the stuff that, that preceded it And uh, and and the hat trick that, you know, with all the horrible stuff that happens, you still have empathy for some of the characters. Mm -hmm. That's that's like impossible to do with a movie like this sometimes. And yet I feel like we we pulled that off. So,
1: yeah, no, I I would agree. Yeah. You know, seeing like James's performance and Dee's performance, it really gives like that nuance to, to grief. And, you know, it has a lot of depth to it as a film.
2: And, and and that's another thing too. You know, we talk about D, but this whole cast is phenomenal. Jay, uh, who's co-writer uh, and a producer on this with us, uh, he just put himself to the ringer. He does such a great job, and to be the uh, you know what, what you would call the straight man mm-hmm. in, in in the film, he ha- he has to be the 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 entree to normalcy yeah. in a movie, and he and he has to kind of hold all the craziness together. Uh, he's he was so committed and so focused and did such a great job. And I'm proud of what he pulled off in that thing because you have Dee who's very flashy and, mm-hmm. and very intense, but he has to play opposite her in, in a lot of those scenes and keep it together. And that's, that again, that's one, of, that's one of the harder things to do. Yeah, uh, Skylar's great. Uh, Angie uh, is mm-hmm. phenomenal. Nisha who plays uh, Zoe, uh, what a fine. The, the three kids or four yeah. kids we found were just phenomenal.
1: Yeah, I was going to say so, the child actors were really great and the flashbacks and everything. So, and then months. Angela
2: Cole, who plays uh, the the druggy mom, uh, probably uh-huh. the most disturbing scene in the whole movie, where she's asking the the uh, you know her daughter to tie off her arm with the yeah. with the tourniquet. I mean that 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 when 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 I wrote that, I'm like, that's probably going to be the most disturbing thing in the whole movie to me, and it, yeah. and, it and it was pretty disturbing. So,
1: yeah. I was going
2: to say, and also, uh, Woodrow's cameo also. Yeah. Woodrow's, there's, there's like, as opposed to a lot of my movies, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of humor. This movie has probably maybe two or three little things that derive from the circumstances and Woodrow's, Woodrow Woodrow gets a a nice little laugh, uh, (laughs) for, for his little piece. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, there's also talk about uh, do we promote from the director of Sharknado, and it's hmm. not a Sharknado movie. And it's mm-hmm. and I go, well, you know, I go back to we we're talking about a Werewolf in London. You know, John Landis did Animal House. And so when they promoted American Werewolf, they go from the director of Animal House, a different kind of animal. And granted, <laughs> yeah. granted, American Werewolf had more comedy in it. But yeah. it still was a serious horror film. And I mm-hmm. go, look, we, we gotta sell what we have. You know, you have D and you have have, have myself. And mm-hmm. if 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 you don't use that stuff, then it's just becomes another movie out there. And you know, for better or for worse, the the promoting it with the director of Sharknado I think has helped re- out really
1: well. Yeah, so. definitely. Any any way to get it seen and noticed, so you know, no real yeah. answer um yeah you know, all right and last question for you i know you're a little tight on time but um can you tell us if you want to announce anything what is uh next for you anything to check out that if you could say
2: uh it's been it's been a busy year uh I just recently i did a pirate uh, musical called time pirates yeah, I saw them, yeah. uh, that's on tubi that just came out earlier this month and it's it's wonderfully weird and strange and it's definitely more what people would expect from the director of Sharknado. So I was really I had a blast doing it because uh, we work with this group called SM Six, this uh, sibling rock band. Oh. And okay. it was just every day was just non sequitur, you know, humor. You know, uh. we, we ad libbed probably an additional thirty minutes of screen time just on set. So after after doing a bunch of dark dark projects, just being able to just kind of be unhinged. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there was, there was one thing on set. We were ta- I I was joking with someone that this pirate ship was haunted by a dead parrot, and they said, "Polly wants your soul." <laughs> and so that we so basically, literally two seconds later, I had the actor saying that. So it, yes. it was it was liberating to just kind of kind of kind of kind of push push things. I, I mean, Nick's, There was the other one where the German woman goes, uh, "Would you like uh, w- would you like some hot cocoa and marshmallows?" And I always knew that that was. That, that's definitely my humor. But within the context of the scene, it's so deranged and weird and spooky, mm-hmm. but it gives a little release, which is what humor does yeah. uh, in, in horror things. Um, and then uh, December, uh, um, last fall, um, which was I was working um, with Asylum, we were developing um, uh, a couple of Westerns, uh, which Cassidy movies mm-hmm. um, with Tubi. And uh, uh, they, they were having a hard time cracking the second film, which is more of a heist movie. So I came in and, and came up with a story for it. And then uh, Jeff Mead wrote the script. And so I became very attached to these uh, Westerns. And, uh, and so I lobbied to direct them. And, uh, and so I got the chance to direct um, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Wild Bunch, oh. uh, which, which we shot last fall. And then we did the second movie at the same time. And that that movie's a, it. It's not a horror movie. It's a straight western. Uh, we have uh, Ross Urgle and uh, John Banover, uh-huh. who's actually in my first movie, Boo, playing Butch oh. Cassidy and 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 the Sundance Kid. And then uh, Jeffrey Combs plays Seringo in it. Oh, and that that's cool. the first time I've known Jeff for years, uh-huh. but to get to work with him was that's just like, cool. oh my gosh! This he I had so much fun working with Jeff. And Dee Wallace is in it playing Alice Cassidy. We mm-hmm. had a fantastic hat. Nikki Lee plays um, uh, at a place. So we, we, we just had a phenomenal uh, cast for that movie. And yeah. just, just a chance easy. to kind of do an old-fashioned Western. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I never thought I'd be doing a Western, even though I did a little one in Sharknado 6. Yeah. And after that, I kind of got the bug and I was developing something, but nothing mm-hmm. ever happened with it. Oh, so man. to get to get a chance to do this was just uh, I, I can't wait for people to see the first movie. It comes out. The first one comes out in December. Okay. And it, it it is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I, uh-huh. So it'll yeah. be not another thing people don't expect from me.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I know you were a fan of Westerns for the longest time. So I think we've talked about some Western films on Silver Carolina. So, yeah, congratulations. yeah and I, I,
2: I, I mean, I I think the thing. Thank you. I mean, I think the thing was, is I always thought I, I always thought I would be just doing horror films, and then Sharknado kind of opened up the world to more action and comedy, and and then I realized there wasn't a lot of interesting horror movies out there to to do. You know, the, and the movies that I wanted to make that I had written are were so weird that, you know, no one wanted to make them. Yeah, and so. So now I just like the fact that I can, you know, jump genres and, you know, be perceived as a director of different movies with, with, with the major, you know, I've got the bachelors in horror. So, yeah. so, you know, I got the, you know, so that's always going to be there. And then I have like, you know, my AA, you know, in, uh, in, in, in other genres, including mm-hmm. a Western, you know, yeah, and maybe, maybe I've taken, you know, the Western is kind of like that that uh e- extra class i took for uh for for you know points you know like okay yeah uh, definitely you got the class dual credits.
1: majors yeah you got the dual majors
2: yeah so so it was fun so yeah. uh again yeah, and, and, and you know thanks to the asylum they give me these opportunities also to do things that are outside of what you would expect uh, mm-hmm. but it's but it's been a fa- it's been a fantastic ride like um mm-hmm. and uh you know, I I'm 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 you know, I'm grateful that you know Dix is out and that uh, it's something different. And so you know, just keep putting things out there. Part part of what I always say is that you know, I was a kid watching these movies when I you know. In antioch you know just going you know i'd love to make movies and you know that was sort of you know they were my friends seeing these these all these different genres and stuff and
0: yeah
2: uh you know it kind of kind of just you know that i was that geek that, that mm-hmm. their nerd that would just watch movies all the time i'd go to all these movie theaters and the local theater would give me a pass and i would just review the movies for my by my, my class papers and local paper and and now, you know, I get a chance to put some stuff out there and hopefully, you know, it has the same effect, you know, it, it gives back to, to someone needing a movie to watch and having an effect on them.
1: Yeah. I would, I would like to, I would, I would think so as well, you know, uh, pay it forward, but, uh, yeah, yeah, no, this has been a really great discussion with you, Anthony. We've gone deep, uh, talk Nick's, um, <laughs> you know, all your influences and like Rick and Morty. So you know, I just want to say, you know, thanks for being generous with your time. Um, it's always good to have you on the podcast. Um, you know, you've been great to me. You and Woodrow have been so good. You guys have been uh, pretty great mentors as I've been in this industry. So yeah, just thanks for being on.
2: Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, thank you for the support as always. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm glad I'm glad I got to come back on the show and talk about another uh, another one of my crazy little movies.
1: Okay, yeah, we'll have to have you back on. But uh, for now, where can uh, people find you at? If you want to plug anything else, let us know. Uh,
2: AC Ferrante is my Twitter handle. I think You can find me on Instagram at Anthony C Ferrante. Uh, Nick's uh, you can find the trailer, Nick's trailer on YouTube. And again, you go to Amazon, type in Nick's movie. You can purchase, rent, or buy. Uh, same thing on Vudu and Apple. Uh, yeah, plus or whatever that's called, Apple TV.
0: Yeah,
2: uh, you know, other other thing too is we do, you know, just again the 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 other thing that really frustrates all of us uh, is that you know we see piracy happening, and so people are putting the movie up on YouTube or yeah, uh, you know these these BitTorrents, and it's like support independent movies. Yeah, look, you know, we we all are. You know, we do we do this for the love, but we want to continue to make them. And the movies yeah. need to make back their money for for the investors and the EPs. So, right. you know, try try not to try not to rip the movie. Just it's yeah. five bucks. You yeah, know, go it's go on go YouTube go. Too. Yeah, yeah, go go. Yeah, you, you can. I yeah, can rent it on YouTube as well. Just yeah. just uh, so support indie film, and that, that's every indie film. Um, you know, the, there's some great stuff out there right now. Terrifier 2, uh, Steve Barton, a friend of mine oh. uh, was, was on that uh, a producer. He's you know, that that movie's doing incredibly well in theaters right now. Mm. Go pay and see these films. It goes back to also music that I always say that, uh, uh, you know, the, when when it became prevalent for people to rip or, or do all this stuff yeah. online, I still I very rarely will. I, I'll download occasionally a song like mm. from iTunes but i still buy the physical media i still buy the cds or the vinyl of artists that i that i like i don't just go try to find it because i don't yeah. i'm lazy because yeah. it it supports the arts you, ha- you know you have to su- there's there's so little money to be made mm-hmm. uh you know in the market nowadays you know you know especially how everything's now just become digital and you know, there's no blu-ray or dvd market yeah. unless it's specialty yeah. so every penny every single penny counts that's why you have bands that go run around having to do tours and stuff because that's where they make their bread and butter there's yeah. no there's people aren't buying cds spotify pays very little yeah um you know yeah. so so no. the digital space it's just it's gotten really really thin yeah. uh and the last I thing i would say sure um i think it's coming out uh, i think it's coming out l- later this week uh the single from Mix uh um, oh, we wrote credits, with robbie yeah. Rist and i yeah, we wrote the theme song called Nothing. Hmm. Uh which uh is uh is gonna be out uh in the next week uh oh, okay. on all the digital platforms.
1: Yeah, from uh and for download. Yeah, the band Quint. Quint. Yeah, yes. I remember we are <laughs> still around. Yeah. But uh with <laughs> that oh sorry. Yeah, with that, um yeah, no, I think that's a great note to end on. You know, support independent film, I agree, and we'll uh hopefully have you back on soon to, you know, talk another movie, but yeah, thanks, Anthony, for dropping by. to um, well, thank everyone for listening. Thanks for watching. Uh, you can find us on Twitter uh, at the Waffle Press on Instagram, the Waffle Press Podcast. We're on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. Thanks for listening and thanks for watching. We've been professionally unprofessional. <laughs>